You know, all throughout a, a person's life, there's all sorts of moments that I would call defining moments. There's like mountaintop experiences where, where everything just seems to be going so well. I mean, you can think about achievement after achievement. You can think about maybe a college graduation. You can think about a promotion that you got. You can think about a, maybe even a championship you won a, as a little leaguer or even more recent in high school or in college. Those are moments that really, I mean, shape who you are. They, they kind of define who you are. But then on the, on the flip side, you have moments that are kind of in the valleys. Moments that are a little harder, but yet those moments help, I, I wouldn't say help, but they, they define, they, they shape who we are, how we respond to certain things. It's, it's etched in your mind, and, and sometimes those moments, those valley moments, are the very ones that are the hardest to get out. Well, 2015, for, for me personally, I'm just going to, on a personal level, six years ago was, I would say, an incredible year filled with tons and tons of highs. So just on the, a personal level between my wife and I, 2015 started out incredible. We, we bought and closed on a, a new house. We called our dream house. It was right in January. Uh, we were living with her parents, and so it was a dream to get our own house and uh, have our own space. And so that was a great way to start the year. And then we, uh, as a couple, as a married couple, we went to uh, Kampala, Uganda, for the very first time on a mission trip overseas together, in a place that it holds really, really dear to our hearts, where we have uh, supported this young girl, and to be able to meet her and her family for the first time in person was just one of those moments that it was like, this is a high, this is a highlight, and this is like only March of 2015. After that trip on our way home, we had a layover, and we spent a full 24 hours in the city of London, and we literally went everywhere there is to see in London in 24 hours. And it was one of those moments, I'm with my wife, and I'm like, this is phenomenal. 2015, can you get any better? It did. It got better. Because just a, a couple months later, uh, for those of you who don't know, we have been on a fostering journey, my wife and I, since 2011. We took in a, a little five-year-old girl and loved her provided for her, made sure she knew that she, uh, she is a forever Hollensteiner, but in 2015 in May, it became official, and we officially adopted her, and it was one of those moments, you're just like, this is awesome, 2015 is incredible, there's some incredible highs, but it got better, it kept going, 2015, we went to Uganda a second time, I mean, that's like a once-in-a-lifetime trip, but when you go in the same year, and then you, you go with your best friends, Josh and Kaylee went on that trip with us, we got to go on a second trip to Uganda, and we're like, man, life is good. We got to spend a day in Amsterdam, oh, didn't spend very much time in Amsterdam, it's a little crazy, we went in the morning, did a cafe, saw some things, it was cool, been there, done that, it was awesome. We came back, last time I preached, I told you guys about uh, another, the, probably the greatest trip outside of Uganda that we've taken is to New York City. And we experienced all the incredible things to see in that city. Got to go to the Tonight Show, see Jimmy Fallon. So 2015, on a personal level, was an incredible high. Then you add in ministry. I've been in ministry since 2010, full-time. Uh, and ministry was good. Great. 
uh, very happy with, with where, where God was, was just moving in this church and just be a, be a part of it. We had a, I was in the family ministry at the time and very passionate about kids and families and helping them just learn about Jesus. And we had uh, what's called a Crossing Kids Live. It was like our version of a VBS. And 2015 was one of my favorite years. Lots of kids, lots of new volunteers right here in this auditorium. It was good. And then Josh, myself, and one of our friends named Jordan, we had a hockey league started here at this church, and it was called the Crossing Hockey League, CHL, and it was cool. Anybody ever heard of the CHL before? Raise your hand. Got to just see the reach. Okay, there was a few of you. It was a big deal, all right? High school students would come into our gymnasium. We would set up, a, like, a legit league, a legit league, and uh, have tons of fun, had dinners before, had championships. I mean, lots of drama included in it, but it was cool, but because of the CHL, it brought in different people. And one of the people it brought in was my friend Dylan. Dylan, uh, Dylan was a special dude. Dylan had an uh, incredibly, uh, uh, just an infectious personality. Like when you were around him, you couldn't help but smile. He was like literally the class clown of, of just wherever he went, wherever he worked, in the hockey league. He, he just brought a smile to your face. Like you just wanted to be around the guy. And like a lot of people coming into church, I was the same way. Dylan also was a little rough around the edges. But it was cool in 2015, early in January, we hosted another retreat for, for uh, high school students called Encounter. And Dylan, uh, he decided to go on that trip. We got him to go, uh, and that in itself was a hard task to do, but he got there. And when he was there, man, you could see it in his face. Moments like what we have here at Collective, he experienced Jesus in a real way and had a real encounter with Christ. It was at that event where it connected with him, that he needed to, to surrender his life to Jesus, that he needed to have Jesus as his personal Lord and Savior, and, and he accepted Christ at that event. And so conversations continued when we got home. Dylan came into uh, our house. My wife and I hosted a small group for high school students uh, every single week, and, and we helped uh, shape uh, and kind of go through that decision till finally on one hockey league night, CHL night, it was on Saturdays at the time, and we used to have church on Saturdays before it moved to Thursdays. We would do church, feed the kids, and then do hockey on Saturday nights. But this Saturday, Dylan, he got in that water, and you can see a picture right there. I, I had the privilege to be in the water with Dylan. It was a highlight of, of my ministry career. To get him to that moment, if you would have met Dylan in the beginning, you would have been like, wow, that is cool. You can see the joy in his face. And, and afterwards, we, we, I mean, before, we're just taking a picture and just talking with people. But the cool thing about what we did with CHL was a lot of times when, when someone gets dunked under and everyone, he comes up, we clap. But during CHL nights of baptisms, they had hockey sticks on the floor, and it was like... Like, that was the cheer, and the whole church was like, this is awesome. So that was, was Dylan's story. It was a high for 2015. He continued in our small group, and, and I know a, a couple of our small group members at that time, they're actually here right now. We had, I think, one of the best small groups ever uh, later in that fall, I believe. I think it was in the fall of 2015. And our church was doing a thing all about identity. And that night, they, uh, they wrote down different ways that they were identified by Christ. And you're going to see this picture. You're going to see uh, people who wrote down, a child of God, set free, forgiven, accepted, 
kingdom worker. And if you look on the, the bottom right-hand corner, Dylan's right there with that weird smile. I don't know what he's doing there. He, he was having fun. He was enjoying himself. He wrote, loved. And it was one of those moments you're just like, there are so many highs in, in ministry life. And this was one of them, one that I cherish deeply. Then uh, there's a Friday in November. My wife and I were about to get ready to go to our second trip to Uganda. We were actually in this building, in the kids' pod, for those who serve here at this, this ministry in this church, uh, packing totes, getting ready to go. And as we were doing that, we are having a good time talking about what's going to be happening and, and just kind of telling our friends, like, here's what to expect. Man, this is where this is going to go. And my wife, she, she gets a phone call and she, she picks it up. And, and instantly, her, her face changed. And I'm looking at her, and, and she, she goes out of the room, and she kind of motions me to go with her, and, and we're out of the room, and, and, and all of a sudden, she's, she's frantically looking at me, and, and, and tears are, are rolling down her face, and I'm like, what in the world? And she says, call Dylan's mom. Call Dylan's mom. And I said, call, okay. The, the girl who called her was in our small group, and she she heard that Dylan was involved in an incident and that it was not looking good. And so I pulled out my phone instantly. And I'm, I look up and, you know, I'm trying to find the contact. Okay, there's Dylan's mom. I, I called her and, and it's ringing and I'm, my heart just, is just pounding. I'm like, okay, what's going on? And, and, and I can hear the dial tone, but then it, it picks up, but there's no answer. And, and it's just silent. And I'm, I'm like, Don, Don, are you there? And all I hear is a mom wailing. On the other end, no hi, no hello. She just says, he's gone. He's gone. He's gone. I, I heard it over and over, and I said, Don, 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 what do you, what do you mean he's gone? What do, you, what do you mean? He killed himself. I just found him. It's one of those... Those moments you, you remember. It's one of those times you go through your head and your heart and all the interactions that you had with that person. And I was going through uh, my last conversations with them. I was going through I mean, my last text with them. And uh, I was trying to figure out this question, why? <laughs> why? What made... What made him feel like that was his only way out? What made him make that decision on that day, on Friday, November 6th, when Dylan was, was pronounced dead at the scene from a self-inflicted gun wound? Like, why? Having to go over to his house and spend time with his family, his mom, and, and, and try to bring them some type of, of hope. And, and answer that question, why? I'm not sure if, if you have experienced anything like this before. Honestly, I pray that you don't. But at the same time, the reason we're talking about this tonight is because this is all too prevalent. This is all too familiar for a lot of us. And a lot of times, Sometimes we, we just push over it and we ignore it and we, we say we're okay and, and we'll just go on and we just try to figure things out and we don't stop and pause and, and think through a situation and, and wrestle with it. We're in this series, How To. Tonight is all about how to, how to ask for help 
and, and I'm going to be honest with you, this, is, this has been a challenging one just to mentally prepare for. And I'm going to kind of circle back into Dylan's story in a little bit, but before I do that, I want to kind of just open up Scripture. I want to look at an account that I think parallels at least some with this story, and then if you're, if you're struggling, listen, man, I am so glad you're here. You are in the exact right spot right now. If you know someone who is struggling, listen, you are in the right spot as well. Because as a Christian, a Christian life is not always up and to the right. A Christian life is not one that's just like perfect. I mean, there's mountaintop, there's highs, and then there are lows, there are valleys. I mean, you don't get a mountaintop without having a valley. So as a Christian, you have to know when you go through these things, whether you're in it or you're about to be in it, we have to be prepared on how we can be ready to ask for help. And so there's three things I'm going to discover with you guys tonight. Three things, three takeaways. The first one is this, in your highs, seek the Lord. In your lows, seek the Lord. And never, ever be afraid to ask for help. And so here we are. We're going to talk about a man named Elijah. Elijah is a, a prophet in the Old Testament. Uh, at the time, th there's just so much evil going on with all these kings. And, and Elijah was, was sent. And he comes onto the scene. And has, Elijah has a lot of highs in his life. A lot of highs in his ministry. I mean, it starts off by Elijah in 1 Kings 17 being uh, out in the desert in the middle of a drought. Uh, he's somewhat by a body of water, but he's being fed by ravens. Now, I don't know about you, if this, is, if this would be a high in your life, like, yeah, I, I'm kind of out here in the desert and can't really get a lot of food, so it's pretty cool. I had this experience with God. Some ravens came and fed me. Like, to me, that's kind of weird, but I think for Elijah, and just as we're looking at it, that's a high. That's, that's an incredible moment, but it continued. He was instructed, hey, I want you to go to this widow's house. And he goes on a journey, he meets this widow in the middle of this drought, and she had just a little bit of food, a little bit of, 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 of materials for, to survive, and, and he says, listen, I need you to take care of me. And she's like, I don't have very much. And he says, listen, God will provide, he'll, he'll do it, just keep doing these steps. And the Lord just kept multiplying, kept taking care of all of them, the widow, her son, and Elijah. And it was another high for Elijah. He's experienced a movement of God. Like, God keeps showing up in his life. And then the widow's son dies. And she actually blames Elijah, maybe like he's a curse. And so what Elijah does is he goes before the uh, God, Lord, the Lord, and he just says, hey, uh, I need you to resurrect this boy. And, and the God listens. He, he sought after the Lord. The Lord listened. And he experienced another high, another miracle. This boy, who was once dead, came alive. Elijah is seeing high after high, mountaintop after mountaintop. But then it gets to a really cool moment. Elijah, it says, is the only prophet of the Lord left. All the rest of the prophets were killed. There's no more. It's just Elijah. And he was going up against prophets of this false god, Baal. There's 450 prophets of Baal. And he, he goes to the king of the time, King Ahab, who's married to Jezebel, right? So if you, you know Jezebel's story, you, you I think I heard Clayton a couple months ago. He says, hopefully there's no Jezebels out there. I was in Walmart the other night, and it said, Jezebella, if you're here, can you go and cashier number three? I was like, ooh, Jezebella, if you're here, glad you're here. We love you. 
I never thought I'd hear uh, uh, someone named that, but anyway, you are loved. But Jezebel, she was not, all right? She was not. She was evil. She was actually the one that kind of started the worship of this false god, Baal. And so he was challenging all these prophets, and they were going to find out once and for all who the true God is. So here's what happens. We pick it up in 1 Kings chapter 18, starting in verse 23. Here's how he set up the duel. He says, Now bring two bulls. The prophets of Baal may choose whichever one they wish. Cut it into pieces. Lay it on the wood of the altar, but without setting fire to it. I will prepare the other bull. Lay it on the wood on the altar, but not set fire to it. Then call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord. The God who answers by setting fire to the wood is true God, and all the people agreed. What I love about this story is he, look at, he looks at all the prophets of the Baal, 450 of them, and he says, you pick first. You get first pick. Pick the best bull, pick the best wood, pick the best spot for your altar. He's just sitting back. He's like, I know what's going to happen. You can pick. That way there's no excuses. And so that's what they do. They pick their altar. They pick their bowl. They get their wood set up. They cut the bowl into pieces. They place it on the altar. And they start crying out to their God. This prophet, or the, the, the God, the Baal. This, and, and guess what? No answer. They, they did it from, from morning till noontime. Calling after Baal. Come down. Strike fire to this altar. No answer. Well, they started dancing. Shouting out louder. Maybe, maybe he doesn't like our moves. And so they just start putting their little flare. I don't know. That was a really bad dance move. And they just did whatever they could to try to get this Baal to come light the fire. But guess what? No answer. And then Elijah, he's kind of on the sideline. And this is where he gets a little too confident. Uh, I like it. Reminds me of myself here. Uh, he just starts saying, hey, maybe, maybe your God is sleeping. M- maybe, he's, maybe he's in a daydream. He's busy. He can't hear you. Maybe, maybe he's going to the bathroom. He can't get up from the stool right now. He's, he's busy. He starts crying at them and just giving them a hard time. And then all of a sudden, man, they're, they're dancing. They're shouting louder. They start cutting themselves and blood is gushing out. They do this from day to night. And guess what? Scripture says there's no answer, no response, nothing. You know why? Because Baal's a false god. Then it's Elijah's turn. Elijah gets his bull, his second pig bull. He gets his wood, broken down altar, grabs some rocks, 12 rocks, that represents the 12 tribes of Israel, digs a trench, sets up the wood, puts the bowl on there, asks the, the people around him, get some, some water, pour around, it fills the trough around his altar, and then he does what we should do, which is with the first takeaway, in our highs, we need to seek the Lord. In our highs, in our mountaintop experiences, In our times where everything is up and to the right, we need to seek the Lord. Because up until this point, everything has been going well for Elijah, yet he still seeks the Lord. I mean, he could have got to this moment, and he could have trusted himself. He could have carried that confidence on, and he could have been like, come on, bring that fire down. God, I know you can do it. But what he does, it's recorded in Scripture. Verse 36 and 37, it says this. At the usual time for offering the evening sacrifice, Elijah, the prophet, he walked up to the altar and he prayed, O Lord, 
God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, prove today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant. Prove that, that I have done all of this at your command. Lord, answer me. Answer me so these people will know that you, O oh Lord, are God and that you have brought them back to yourself. And when he humbled himself, he prayed that prayer, when he sought after the Lord, the Lord answered his prayer, and fire came down, consumed the altar, consumed the, the bull, consumed the, the rocks, consumed the water. All of it was gone. And instantly, everybody on that mountain, Mount Carmel, knew that the Lord was God once and for all. Elijah then took all the prophets of Baal, 450 of them, led them down to a valley and, and killed them all. Kind of a crazy ending, crazy story. But God showed his power but at the same time, Elijah, in his high moments, continued to seek after the Lord. For some of you, you walked in this place. And if you had to be honest, you're kind of on that mountaintop experience. Life is going pretty as you planned it. You got into the school you wanted. You got the career you wanted. You, your grades are going well. You, you met the girl or the, or the guy, your dreams. Uh, maybe you're... Uh, expecting a child, like, there's a lot of things that are happening, you're on, listen, seek the Lord. We don't just seek the Lord in the valleys, we seek Him at every moment in our lives, we seek Him in our highs. Elijah continues to have highs, he, the drought was still going on, he prays that the drought ends, and guess what, God ended the drought, but then there's a turn, just one page, one page over, we were in 1 Kings 18, one page over, King Ahab, after just being embarrassed on top of the mountain, had all his prophets of Baal that he uh, had up there with him. They were all killed. He, it's recorded in scripture he goes back, back home to his wife, to Jezebel. He lets her know exactly what happened. And then all of a sudden, things changed. Because she sent a note. She sent a note to Elijah. Here's what she said in 1 Kings 19. May the gods strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you as you have killed them. Instantly, this woman had power, all right? As soon as he received this message, he was filled with anxious thoughts. He was uh, filled with fear. He, he was filled, just he was so scared and it says that he, he ran. He actually ran into the wilderness. He, he ran away, and this is where he finds himself. He finds himself in a moment under a tree, and he's, he's again going through now a low, a valley experience. This woman's about to come after him for his life, and, and he seeks the Lord, and he starts praying. And he said, Lord, I've, I've had enough. Uh, take my life. For I am no better than the ancestors who have already died. Listen, he came to this moment. After just seeing all of these movements of God, he was a part of all of them. In his highs, he was seeking the Lord. But now he's in the low of the low. This woman, Jezebel, said, I'm going to kill you because of what you did. And, and now he's like, okay, I feel, I'm scared. I, I want to end my life. And he's like, in this moment. But he still, he seeks after the Lord. And this is what happens. Just like you, maybe you do. I, I know sometimes I do that. When I get to these moments in my life, I want to just lay down. And I just want to sleep. I don't know if you're there. You had a bad day at work. Your kids are driving you crazy. 
you had a, a hard day in the classroom or in the practicum that you're doing, someone was just really rude to you, uh, friendship, man, just went bad. You go home, you don't want to be around anybody, and you take a nap. That's what Elijah did. He took a nap under a tree. Then it says, an angel of the Lord came to Elijah, woke him up, and said, get up and eat. And the angel of the Lord provided this, this food and this water for him to be nourished, for him to eat. And, like us, we get up. I'll get a Diet Coke real quick, a bowl of cereal, maybe Diet Coke in the cereal. I've never done that, actually. Might, might try that. Um, y- you wake up from your nap, you get a quick bite to eat, and you go back to sleep. That's what Elijah does. He goes back to sleep. Angel of the Lord comes back and says, hey, get up and eat. You're going to need this for your journey. Your work is not finished. You have more to do. And so what does he do? He gets up. He eats. And he goes. For some of us, I mean, listen, when you're in your low, you seek the Lord. He was still seeking the, lo- the Lord in this moment. He was still in this relationship with him. The Lord was meeting him right where he's at. And the Lord was doing what the Lord does. He was bringing nourishment to him. Just like, listen, he does for you still to this day. You're like, man, God's not waking me up. He ain't putting no, uh, no crackers by my bed. He's not bringing me no cup of water with ice in it. Uh, or bringing me a Carter's drink. Like he, I wake up and there ain't nothing there. Listen, his nourishment comes when you spend time with him in his word. When you open up that book or when you get on your phone and you open up the Bible app and you open up and let God's word do what God's word does, it nourishes you. When you come to collective or you go to the church body that you belong to and and you get filled up through the preaching of the word, it is providing nourishment to you. When you worship in your car, when you pray and you get down on your knees and you humble yourself, it provides nourishment That's God providing nourishment to you. The Holy Spirit resides in you. And he wants to nourish you, and that's what what Elijah's doing. He got nourished. What I love about this is his work wasn't finished. He rested, he paused, then he got up and finished what the Lord instructed him to do. He, he went and anointed two more kings after that. He anointed his next, the next prophet that was taking his place, the guy named Elisha. He finished the work. In his lows, he sought after the Lord. I don't know about you, and I don't know what you walked in this room with. I don't know what low you're facing or what low you just got out of, but I know we all experience it. I know that when we get into those moments, we feel like it's only happening to us, that you feel so alone. My, my prayer is that tonight you, you understand that you're actually not alone at all. That you have people all throughout scripture, you have people in this room, you have a, a person on this stage that understands what a low is like, what a valley is like. And the, the final thing I want you to discover tonight is this. That when you're in those moments, when you're in those moments of not knowing what to do, that you're never afraid to ask for help. And I get it. Asking for help, taking that step, uh, blurting out like what you're struggling with is risky business. If you've been around Collective for a while now, you know that I'm very upfront with, with where I'm at uh, on my mental health journey. Uh, I, t- I told you I had a sermon all about this in, in the spring of this year where we, 
we're in a, a series um, about the hurting matters. And uh, I shared a line from a pastor, and I actually use it all the time, and I, I, I say it to myself all the time that it's okay to not be okay, but it's not okay to stay that way. Like, it's a mantra that I keep living. Like, it's okay. Listen, that you're not feeling okay. I need to lay down for a little bit, but it's not okay to always stay that way. We got to get up. And I love to share more of my story with you, but I wanted to tell you, when I preach messages like this, can I just be honest? I get scared out of my mind. Because as I was preparing for that message to talk about my own journey, instantly, right after, leading up and afterwards, I was attacked. I was attacked. Because I believe Satan wants to just get a stronghold on this in your life and in my life. That if he's like, man, I don't want them to figure out that there's ways out of this, that they can ask for help, that they can uh, not be just stuck in, I want them isolated. And so after I preached that sermon, I went to another, uh, I would call it episode. For those of you who struggle with anxiety and depression, man, there is something inside of my chest that just feels off in these moments. I, I know it right away. I can feel my emotions get out of check. And there's this one day uh, I was heading uh, that morning I woke up, I felt it. I felt the pressure. Sometimes I think it's too much Carter's. I have to really, like, figure out, did I have too much for the day? Is that too much Lotus? Or, but this one was not Carter's related. This was legit. Uh, pressures in the chest. All day. Didn't go away. And, and I always go to work out. It, it's a routine. I, I try to keep a, a very structured schedule. It helps me just connect with the Lord. And I call my wife, and I just said, Katie, I'm, I'm not well. I just need you to know that. I'm going to the gym right now, but I, I, I'm just letting you know I'm not well. I'll call you afterwards. I'm hoping it'll work itself out through conversation, through working out, through all that. And she's like, call me back. I'm like, okay. Get done working out, and I, afterwards, is a poorly planned meeting. I had a plan, uh, a meeting with uh, Jerry, Clayton, which, is my, which are my bosses, right? Uh, our senior pastor and our executive pastor, and we're sitting in a big conference center, and we're talking through some future stuff, and and instantly it comes to me, and I feel these emotions. I feel these, these moments in my chest. And in the middle of this meeting, okay, in your most embarrassing moment, I start bawling, okay? It's not really a, a, a point in my life that I'm proud of, but I just cried. And I said, guys, I'm not well. I need, I need some time away. I need to go find some help. And obviously they ministered to me, and they, they, and they did what they could, and I just had to go. And I called my wife again, and I, I sat in the car, and I just started crying and crying and crying again. I'm like, what in the world happened? Mind you, no life event took place. Nothing bad happened. Just something inside of me, this, this anxious thoughts took over and overwhelmed me, and I'm just an emotional mess. I start driving, which is not a good idea. Uh, and I said, Katie, I'm going to go to the doctor. I just need to go talk to him. I, I, he's a good friend of mine. I said, I'm going to head there. I head there. I call, and I said, hey, is Dr. So-and-so available? They say, actually, he's not available right now. And I said, okay, um, thanks. And I, I hung up, and I'm like, okay, what do I do? I call Katie back. I'm on the road again. I'm like, Katie, he's not available. I need help. Where do I go? Pulled over on Main Street. She, she stood on the phone for a while, and I'm just crying. I say, I'm going to call. He's a good friend of mine. I have a cell phone number. I call him. I say, man, I'm hurting. I'm broken. I need help. He said, come back. 
I'll come to your car, let's talk. And that's exactly what I did. I came to the clinic, he got in my car, which is like the best drive-up service. I mean, that is awesome when, you're, when your doctor comes in your car and we start talking and we, we figure out, man, here's some of the things that I'm dealing with and here's how we can treat it and, man, here's some things. And I just said, listen, I need help. And afterwards, listen, my wife didn't stop. She knew, she knows me. Because I asked for help, she knows what to do. She says, she knows that it's not good for me just to go home, be by myself. Uh, not that my family in itself is bad, but she knows I need to be around a lot of people. So she calls some of our closest friends, our life group. The people we do life with every single week, she says, Corey needs uh, people. Can you make a dinner? Can we come over? And we, we had a time of just being together. And I had to look at my group and I said, I'm not well. I need help. I think, I think there's parts of us that just don't want to do it. We're afraid we might get burned. Man, listen, I told everybody, my bosses, my wife, my doctor, my small group. I mean, everybody knows I needed help. I was putting a, the, the white flag up, like I need help. But listen, in all that, I was seeking the Lord too. I didn't tell about those moments. I was clinging on to scriptures in Philippians 4. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. The peace of God comes over you when you do that. He guards your hearts. I was thinking about 1 Peter 5 where it says, man, cast your worries, cast your anxieties upon me for I care about you. I know that. I'm praying, I'm seeking the Lord in the highs, I'm seeking him in the lows. But in the same time, I needed Galatians 6.2, just to, I needed someone to share this burden with me. I needed them to carry it with me because I couldn't carry it by myself. And if there's anything you can capture tonight, is that this is a place for you to connect with other people. Like, we don't just have a mantra that life is better together. We believe that life is better together at the collective because it sounds good. That is the truth. When you lean into that, when you step out and you just say, hey, listen, I need help. My prayer is that somebody in this room is going to say, I got you. I may not have the answer, but listen, I will listen to you. I will journey with you. You're not by yourself. You're not uh, just... Uh, a broken uh, instrument that God can't use. Like, you can be used, but sometimes we need to reach out for help. And so, four quick takeaways. Very quickly. If you could do anything with this message, here's the four things that you could do. Number one is, is surrender. If you're in this room, I have to be honest with you. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus, if your heart's not surrendered to him, you're doing it by yourself. You're stuck in that valley with no greater power to help you. He is the God of the universe that struck fire down and proved that he is the Lord. Did you see it? No, but it is accomplished. He wants you. He wants your heart. And, and you're trying to fight this evil world on your own, but listen... You're evil. I'm evil. There's sin inside all of us. And we have a Savior. His name is Jesus Christ. And he came to this earth and he lived a perfect life. And he went on the cross to take away your sins and my sins. And so that we can have life. And right now, for those of you who've never surrendered your life to Jesus, that is the first step. To say, I, I need you to get in that water of baptism and say, I, I, I surrender and make you Lord and Savior. The second thing you can do is, is pause. Powerful, powerful thing about Dylan's story 
is one of the most profound statements that his mom said afterwards was if he just would have paused. If he just would have taken an extra second and not pulled that trigger. If he would have just spent some time seeking the Lord in his low. If he could have just allowed a man just a, a little bit of a slumber and allowed God to speak over him and maybe allowed someone to come inside and let him know that he is loved. Allow the Lord to nourish him. And maybe that's the same for your friend or your family member that made that same decision. But listen, you have that opportunity right now to pause. This may be your pause right now. In these moments, when we sing in just a little bit, your pause may just be to come forward, get on your knees, humble yourself before the Lord, and just take a deep breath and say, God, I don't know where to go from here, but I know I need to pause and I need you. The third thing you need to do is get up. We can't stay down forever. We can't stay sleeping forever. If we look at Elijah's story, he allows God to nourish him. He's with him. He's seeking him. But then he gets up, and we need to get up as well. That God has called you. He has created you for a purpose and on purpose, and you have a great work ahead of you when you are living a surrendered life to him. So get up and do something. Make a difference in this world for Jesus. And finally, you need to seek others. And this is the hardest, I think it's the hardest. Obviously, we seek the Lord first in our highs and our lows, our mountains and our valleys. We seek the Lord, but at the same time, we need to go to somebody and ask for help. We need to seek help. Tonight, maybe that's you. Uh, there'll be people on both sides that are going to be praying. Maybe you just need to cast a burden on them. They could pray over you. Maybe you want to just talk to a pastor. Myself and Josh will be available tonight. Or there's a leadership group that's around you with name tags. If you just say, hey, I need prayer. Listen, they don't need to know the situation. They don't need to know the circumstance. What they're going to do is they're just going to pray over you. But we need to seek others. But for others of you, man, you're like, I'm not comfortable with that. I need something I can do on my own. And I'm gonna, I know you can do this. You can do this on your own. But I want to put a number on the screen right behind me. You can write it down. You can take a screenshot of it. You can look it up later. But I'm not kidding. If I don't say that, if you don't call this number, then maybe this will save your life. You need to talk to somebody. You need to ask for help. Call that number. Do it tonight. It's important. This is important. And as believers, if we don't get this right, man, it defines people's lives that are around you. It defines, I mean, just who we are. Those experiences they don't just go away. And so tonight, here's what I'm a simple plea. I'm going to ask you in just a little bit when we stand. I know I said there's certain groups that if you want to just come up and pray and humble yourself, that'd be awesome. But I want to actually encourage every single person in this room to come forward when the songs start. And here's the why. First, I believe all of us need it. I believe all of us need to humble ourselves before God and, and just seek after Him. But at the same time, I believe that there's one or two in here that you're actually really wrestling with, I don't know how to get help. I don't know what to do. This is the last resort. I've thought about this. I've thought about this. i planned this. i planned that. And, and you're scared. And if we all come forward, 
that it would give that person the boldness and the courage to come forward tonight as well. I'm not sugarcoating it. I know there's one or two in here. You're wrestling with this. How do I ask for help? And so let's come around them. Let's all respond tonight. Let's all, man, just move together, humble ourselves before God, and ask for help tonight. So that's what I want to do during this next song. So would you guys stand with me? We're going to seek God right now. We're going to seek the Lord, whether you're in a high, whether you're in a low, and we're going to not be afraid to ask for help. God, I just pray that you have your way in this moment. God, only you know what, what's going on in the hearts of so many people in this room. You know where they're at spiritually. You know where they're at. God, uh, some of them are on their own. I pray right now for the boldness and the courage for them to come forward, for them to live a surrendered life to you, Jesus. God, that that would be their step they take tonight, declaring that you are Lord and you are Savior. God, I pray for the one that's just been asking for help for so long and not receiving anything. God, tonight that you'd give them the boldness and the courage to reach out to somebody. God, I pray, I pray for your covering over these moments, that there are a lot of defining moments in our life. I pray that this might be one for somebody tonight. A moment they encountered you in a real way. A moment they encountered you maybe for the first time. And God, we just went to you on our knees and we asked, Lord, be with us. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for moments of worship. So God, I pray as we respond right now, you're glorified above all things. In Jesus' name, amen.